All right, I'm here with Jack Posobiec, author of Antifa, 1.8 million followers on Twitter, and he's the senior editor at Human Events. We're going to talk a little bit about Christopher Columbus today, but we're going to get right into China, Pope Francis, the Vatican, appointment of bishops, and China in general. Jack, happy Columbus Day. Taylor, happy Columbus Day. And I'm not sure if we're allowed to say that. Are we, are we good? We're, we're okay. We're not going to be cut off by... You know, did you just lose $2,500 in your PayPal account yeah, by I saying think, that? Yeah, because, I think PayPal's scraping yeah. it right now. It's going to be scraping it. It's just scraping bottom of the barrel. Be See, I, I shut down my PayPal years ago, so I'm I'm clear on that one. They're taking I, mine's away. still open, but they walked it back. People don't know. PayPal said if you say something offensive or put a meme up, they can scrape $2,500 from your bank account crazy you were so, tweeting like crazy i think paypal reversed it just because of you yeah they might but I, i'll tell you what man they're, they're going to bring that back as soon as possible they'll bring it back or what what they're trying to do and it actually ties into the the china topic there which we can talk about later if you, as well but this this is a chinese styles uh social credit score and this idea that your social credit score is based exactly on you upholding what what i call or what what the obama state department called the monomyth or the mono narrative. If you do not uphold the mono narrative, then, well, in this case, you would lose $2,500 from your PayPal account. In China, your social credit score goes down. If your social credit score goes down far enough, that means your kids can't go to school. That means you might not be eligible for certain jobs, positions. If you're in school, you could lose your jobs. And, and they'll go right after your family, by the way. Again, that's, that's actually quite normal for the Communist Party or any Communist Party. If anyone's actually studied just a little bit of history about communists, they know that that's, you know, they view you as the product of your family and they'll go back several generations. Even if you, for example, for Chinese, if you want to apply for the Chinese special forces, they will go back two, three generations on you to make sure that there hasn't been any history of subversion or what they call anti-revolutionary activity by any member of your family, regardless of what you as an individual could up, could possibly do. So that's, that's, that's key to understand when it comes to China, the CCP in general, there is no idea of individuality. It is group consensus. It is group judgment and it is group uh, guilt and innocence. Now, obviously this flies in the face of what the church teaches us. It flies in the face of what Aquinas teaches us flies in the face of what Christ teaches us, and certainly of the complete history of Western civilization and Western law. Yeah, when I was a young college student, I did a Protestant evangelical mission trip to China. And one of the things they told us, they briefed us on, is if you're talking to someone, uh, as you get to know them, and you're kind of vetting them out, I guess you could say, ask them what their dad does, ask them what their parents do. And if they have any kind of government job, you can try to talk to them about religion or philosophy, but they will get spooked very quick because they're taught. Oh, yeah. Do not associate with if your dad is in the military or politics or ever. They know intergenerational. They will not mess with you because it will tear down the whole family like a domino effect. So that was That's right. 20 something years ago. But yeah, Columbus Day, uh, you know, dead, white. Catholic guy who did something pretty cool. Guess we can't talk about that. Uh, there was a really cool painting. I'm going to put on the screen, Jack. You won't be able to see it. This is one of the earliest depictions of Christopher Columbus. I tweeted it earlier. It's from a painting called The Virgin of the Navigators. 
And there's that famous painting of him where he has a kind of, he's swarthy and has brown hair. But apparently now scholars are saying he was maybe like fair and redheaded. I don't know. But uh, he was almost canonized in the 1800s. Did you know that? I did know that. You did know that. Good. What else did, do you know yeah. about it? <laughs> uh, I pretty much just that. I, I don't know why it wasn't actually carried through. I kind of, I, I, I would not be surprised if it had though. Yeah. There's a famous quote here. This is from uh, Columbus. He says, a mortal thanks should be rendered to God who had brought his labor such prosperous issues that Jesus Christ rejoices and triumphs on earth, no less than in heaven at the approaching salvation of nations innumerable that were before hastening to destruction. So, I mean, this shows that he's, he's a man of faith. He loves Jesus Christ well, and he wants these people to know Jesus. One of the biggest pieces, and and we actually launch on so on on Human Events Daily, which will which will air on Real America's Voice later tonight. We have um, it's myself and Libby Emmons. We pre-taped a special where we go in at depth the sort of inaccuracies and and truths about Columbus, the motivations of Columbus, and, and I can break that down a little bit here because what people don't understand is that what Columbus was attempting to do was a response to the Muslim takeover of the Holy Land in the 1400s, which had just happened. Remember, the sack of Constantinople was um, was just a few decades prior to yeah, 1492. 1453. 1453. So 1453 to 1492. And yet people, for some reason, don't think about all of these things in context. Um, obviously, the Protestant Reformation you get this uh, situation where Columbus, his goal was never to discover new land. If you read his actual writings, his journals, he's, he's almost obsessive over two things. Number one, spreading the word of Jesus Christ. And number two, retaking the Holy Land and liberating the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Yeah. He's constantly writing about this. In fact, when he makes his way, because of, of course people know the story that he, you know he went to very he's not he's not Spanish right, but he flew under the Spanish flag. And why is that? Because he went from monarch to monarch throughout Eastern and Western Europe, and then finally finds, uh, and it's it's Ferdinand and Isabella who out of Spain who decide to go with this. Well, what did he say to them? He said, "We will discover gold and then use this gold to return to launch a new crusade to retake the Church of the Holy Sepulchre." This is his specific reason for traveling, his specific reason for doing what he did. And I think people also need to go into the context, right? You know, we have these satellites and GPS systems and Elon Musk has Starlink up and, and we can see the world as it is today. But Columbus couldn't, you know, Columbus couldn't see any of that. There was just a vast ocean where people said, hey, don't go over there. And, um, you know, you'll hear this argument a lot lately that, well, what about Leif Erikson? That was 400 years before. And didn't he technically for short Leif Erikson? Amazing, right? Amazing story. But but nobody knew that. Right. And so Columbus is sailing without any idea other than faith, other than faith alone. And there were some clues. There'd been some some pottery and some artifacts that had washed up on the Canary Islands, um, some bodies here and there that explorers would come back with that. Uh, one of the phrases was they were neither neither European nor African nor Asian. So they weren't sure uh, what specifically this was, but they knew there they had some indications there might be something further. There might be something out there. And Columbus also, of course, we know that he uses the word 
I'm going to say it. All right. I know we're going to be in a lot of trouble on this one. He used the word Indian because he said that he was trying to discover the Indies. And the reason for the name of, of Cuba, for example, being called Cuba, he was looking for Kublai Khan because he wanted to form an alliance with the great Khan again with Christianity because he knew Christianity was welcome at the time. Right. This also ties, by the way, China into Columbus because he was attempting to meet with the ruler of China at the time, Kublai Khan, who, by the way, was Mongolian, uh, the descendant of the Yuan. So this is the Yuan dynasty. So the descendants of Genghis Khan right. were controlling China at this time. Who had Christians so in the court, didn't they? Had Christians the in the Khans, court. Yeah, right. the Khans did. And Columbus knew this. Yep. Right. So Columbus knew this. And he thought that if he could, and obviously being Italian, the story of Marco Polo, etc., he thought he could sort of be a new Marco Polo, meet with the Khans, form an alliance to go from the East and the West back to the Middle East and then retake the Holy Land. This was Columbus's grand design. Just turned out that there was another continent in the way. But when you talk about the man's motivations and the history behind this, um, by the way, he, to a great extent, even after discovering the first couple islands, still thought that he was in the Indies. He had no clue that it wasn't actually the one. He said, well, where's that empire that I was, you know, that I was looking for? It, it took a considerable amount of time to find that out. But so for people to understand that he had these grand designs and he had this, this spirit of adventure, that spirit of exploration that's been so stripped from modern society, this idea that you could be an explorer. He autodictat, by the way, not didn't serve in any of the navies of the time, um, spent some time as a civilian sailor. That's about it. Learned, um, you know, sailed essentially by by star charts, which is, by the way, something that our Navy doesn't do anymore because we're so reliant on GPS. But, yeah. you know, you go and look at what what Russia's capable of. You now, know, what China's capable here's, here's of. Here's now. something for you. My, Take it right down. my grandfather taught star navigation at the Naval Academy and at Harvard. That's what our family well, said. Well, so what's amazing? I mean, they were still what's they were still learning that, and teaching it not that long ago. If you've got any of your grandfather's uh, work on this, then then Annapolis might be interested because they're starting to bring it back. Oh, because they've recognized that this is a major vulnerability for our modern navy. That uh -huh. you know, if, if you know GPS gets shut off and you know you're basically blind out there, so we have to go back to learning some of these methods that have been completely lost to us because if one um, they've talked about using laser devices, devices to take out these satellites, or if they can just disrupt the connection, then your right. GPS is down, et cetera. Um, satellite warfare is a huge thing. So all of these things that go into modern warfare, as we're looking at today on the ground and on, and geopolitics, they actually did play an even greater role for Columbus because he didn't have any of that stuff. Right. He had yeah. and this idea of dead reckoning. So dead reckoning was this other idea, which is where you basically just throw some stuff in the, in, in the water off the side of your ship. Flotsam. That's where we get the idea, name Flotsam from. And then you see which way it's going and you you kind of like can mark your course. You can mark your bearing and get some idea. But it's it's not great. It doesn't it right. sounds not great. It's it's not 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 so good. And actually, submarine for our submarines, because GPS radio signals don't work underwater, um, they still use a modified version of dead reckoning using your last position. Um, I did a little submarine. I was a, I'm a Navy veteran. Um, and I did a little bit with submarines. So I have a, a basic understanding of how they operate. And, uh, it's, it's fascinating to realize that even with our technological advancements today, there's, there's so much that the sea is able to take away from us in this age. And this was something that Columbus 
because of his devotion to God, because of his devotion to Christ and his his adventurous nature, this nature. And it's a very masculine nature, too, that they've tried to just strip away from society today. He embraced all of those things and pushed into it based really on faith alone. And I think that's incredible. You, you read about Magellan, right, the first circumnavigator. And it's the same idea that I will go and I will challenge myself. I'll challenge the crew. The crew almost mutinied on Columbus, by the way. They almost killed him. Yeah. And you read about this in his journals. And he, he took it out of the Bible. He said, well, if I, if I haven't found land in three days, then do what you want with me. Three days. Right? You know where he got that from. We yeah. all know where he got that from. And so on the third day, they actually did sight land. And this was months after they thought that he would have crossed over. And, and people also don't know that he almost didn't make it back. The ship almost crashed on the way back. And so when you realize the, the heroic acts of simply navigating his way across, finding it there, making it back all in one piece, obviously losing men, losing ships, everything along the way, the whole story is incredible. I mean, it's something that I remember as a young boy reading novels about Columbus being taught. Um, it was the, I guess the 500th anniversary when I was in school. And so I remember Columbus being taught as this great hero who was responsible, by the way, more than any one other singular individual responsible for the founding of the United States of America. And when you look at the agenda against Columbus, that's really what it's about. It's about stripping away his accomplishments, stripping away the foundation of the United States of America, getting us to believe that our country was founded in some evil, horrid and, and sinful way. And then using that to usurp the power of the structures I talked about before, Roman law, Western civilization, our philosophy to take away all of those things because he's just some dead white man, dead white oppressor. And take away all the accomplishments and all the things that we've done. They're trying to undermine our civilization. You see this with the takedown of statues. However, I will, I will say as a, um, as a native of the Philadelphia area, we are very, very proud of the fact that in South Philadelphia, that is one of the few places in the entire country where a statue of Christopher Columbus still stands, even though it was targeted by all the same forces of 2020 that you saw BLM, Antifa, et cetera. They didn't get that one. Because the people of South Philadelphia, predominantly Italian-American, all banded together and stood vigil. In some cases, hundreds of these guys standing outside that statue for, for days and nights before the city finally stood down. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, this is something, I, I just, just to put back on that, I, I, our founding fathers, they named our capital district based on the based on Columbus, the District of Columbia that comes from Columbus, the country of Columbia, British Columbia, you know, Columbia University. I recently found, by the way, I threw this up on Twitter the other day, and I saw people in my comments saying, well, no, that's not based on Columbus. That's based on this, this, uh, this ancient goddess called Columbia. I said, that's not an ancient goddess. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, we can talk about ancient gods and goddesses. That's another podcast. <laughs> but, but Columbia was a personification of America that was created in the 18th century as a way to, you know, kind of like Britannia was for, for Great Britain at the time. And it was simply just a personification of the country. And so America almost had the name Columbia, but obviously all of this was based on Christopher Columbus. And so if our founding fathers could look to this, this history as a way of adventure, if you give that to any 
12, 13 year old boy and tell him that this was done and we could find this type of adventure. That's the kind of spirit that we should be inculcating. That's the kind of faith we should be inculcating. That's certainly how I've been raising my kids and how I'm going to teach them. Yep. And when you have in the 1800s, you have a lot of these riots in Philadelphia. There was riots against the Catholics. There was this sort of anti-Irish, anti-Italian move saying, you know, Catholics aren't truly American. And the priests right. were smart. And that, this is why we have the Knights of Columbus. It's named Knights of Columbus. The priest said, no, 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 no. Christopher Columbus was a Catholic. The whole American story begins with the Catholic Church, Spain, an Italian Catholic, Christopher Columbus. So don't let people tell you that if you're a Catholic, you're not truly American. Because past the founding fathers, you got Columbus. He's a Catholic. And that was a great source of pride for Americans who maybe felt like they were ostracized or not really part of the Catholic experiment or American experiment is we had Columbus. There's, there's a great scene in the, uh, in, uh, to, to, since we're talking about our, our great founding fathers and philosophers and historians and adventurers, of course, uh, there's a great philosopher who goes by the name of Tony Soprano in, <laughs> in that, uh, that fame, there's a fame, there's a whole episode about Columbus day in the Sopranos, which, um, I, I, I admit, um, public confession have not watched the Sopranos in its fullness. I know, I know, but I've, I've seen the scene where his, his son, I guess, comes home with that communist, uh, the communist manifesto of America, all otherwise known as, as Howard. <laughs> he's a famous Italian explorer. And in this house, he's a hero. And that's exactly right. <laughs> all right. I think we, but one lot. thing. Yep. Go ahead. One thing that um, that I would like to throw out there that we get into is that so th there are these sort of stories about Columbus and Columbus, of course, was arrested at one point. He was sent back to Spain in chains and people say, well, hold on. What about all that? Right. What did that have to do with it? People need to look up the name Francisco de Bobadilla, Francisco de Bobadilla, B-O-B-A-D-I-L-L-A. Who was he? This was a guy who, when Columbus, now he becomes the governor of Hispaniola, he becomes uh, very wealthy, his family becomes wealthy, of course, they're setting up these colonies. But Bobadilla, he's upset about this. He doesn't like this. Why? Because, of course, Columbus is, is again, he's Italian, he's not Spanish. Why is he in charge of all these Spanish properties, these Spanish soldiers? There's a huge friction there. So Bobadilla, he becomes this judge who's sent over by the crown, but, of course, they're all the way across the ocean. The crown has no real way of knowing what's going on. He realizes that if Columbus is deposed, he stands to be the one to replace Columbus as the governor of these colonies. Mm. So what does he do? He launches investigations of Columbus. He launches uh, challenges to Columbus's rule. He comes up with people who have witnesses. I heard Columbus say this. I saw Columbus do this. And it all gets written down in these documents, which, of course, he as the judge is the one who signs off on. He then has Columbus arrested. The Spanish soldiers take him. They send him back to Spain in chains. This document, you could almost think of it as a Bobadilla dossier, is what we call it on the show, that this becomes rediscovered in 2006 in the Spanish archives. And then that's what everyone in the media is referring back to today is this single document based on, shall we say, a, a less than, um, you know, a less than unbiased source obviously a guy who stand, stood to gain a lot. And so the historical depiction of Columbus in these documents flies in the face of everything else we know about Columbus, whether it be his own journals or contemporaneous journals. And the reason is because it was written by someone who stood a lot to gain 
from these investigations and then eventually became the governor after Columbus. So when I hear people bring all of these up, all of these atrocities, I would always kind of point out to, well, politics was uh, the same back then as it is now, apparently. I mean, that's, that's original fake news right there. Yeah. Fake news. Well, and you also get into some of the um, some of those ideas of the uh, what, what do they call it? The, the black legend. Right. Now, I want to circle back shortly before we get to China on uh, the Holy Sepulchre. Holy Sepulchre is yes. the tomb of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where he was buried. He rose on the third day. You were just in the Holy Land. I've been to the Holy Land. It's probably one of the most yes. moving things I've ever. Were you able to go to Mass at the Holy Sepulchre? We were not able to go to Mass. Okay. We didn't, Did uh, go we weren't in? able to time it out right. Did you go in? Oh, we went numerous times on this trip. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's powerful. Any any thoughts from that so experience? So we went in. We went and uh, we just did we did a whole Sunday special, hour long special on this on on the podcast. Uh, myself and my brother. So we performed the entire rite of the Stations of the Cross at the actual Stations of the Cross mm-hmm. on the Villa Dolorosa leading up to it with the merchants coming behind us and the tourists and the pilgrims and, (laughs) and guys going, and you can, we see us on video doing this because we didn't even care just on our knees with the booklet out and everything. And the final four stations of the cross that for folks who haven't gone yet, um, they're within, they're located within the church of the Holy Sepulchre. When we walked into the church for the first time on that trip, uh, my father was with us. We brought had my dad, we had my mom, uh, my little boys, my brother, my wife, her sister, and the stone of unction is right there. Um, this is the slab where our Lord's body was, was lain. And my dad, he's one of these guys where he doesn't, he doesn't show emotion. You know, he's from that generation. He's, you know, you don't, you know, you gotta be tough. You gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you know, maintain your poise at all times kind of guy. Right. He knelt down and, and, and my dad's knees aren't great, but he knelt down in front of that and put his hand on it and he just started crying. Mm-hmm. He just started crying. For, and I, I, I couldn't even look at him. I couldn't even, cause I know to my father what it meant, what level of emotion must have welled up within him to be in the presence of where our Lord's body lay. Well, of course his spirit was descending into hell at the time into the limbo that where the sacrifice was played out and um i get it i would uh i would go on a crusade for that place too yeah yeah oh yeah and then up just up the stairs there's golgotha did you put your hand down the yes. hole of course yeah so under the altar there's a hole so you, you put you, and you have to kneel you yes. got it you got a, a penitent man will pass you have to get down low on your that's knees right. and you put your hand you can feel down the down into the rock where the cross stood and you can put a rosary so we, down right, there. So we took can... it out there and then my, my, uh, my, my four-year-old and my one-year-old, of course, they didn't have to kneel very far, but right. you know, we got them up and, uh, and they went under and they touched it. And, you know, even for them, I think at that age, you know, I don't think they quite realized the appreciation, you know, for it yet, because, you know, to them it's, you know, I said, and then, and then we went to, uh, the to- the actual tomb itself, which is in the very next room. And, and they, I connected it with them and I said, Hey, remember I told you when, when Jesus was in the tomb and then he was in his grave and how long was it? He was there for three days, daddy. And then what happened? Well, then he came out. Why? 
because God, God made him better. God brought him back. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so he's, you know, he's remembering what I've told him, but I think as he, as he gets older and we go to, you know, any church that we're at, of course, one thing that you always see, and I remember always seeing from growing up and in, in the Philadelphia area, we've got these beautiful yeah. old Catholic churches with the marble, with the granite everywhere and these glorious depictions of the stations of the cross. So I always remember growing up and just looking at those during the mass. Of course, I'm supposed to be paying attention and and reflecting on our Lord's passion, the, the right. passion. Right. And then to have my son have actually walked those very steps at both of my sons at such a young age, you know, they'll actually have a memory. And of course, because we have this great technology now to be able to see it. We've got video footage of it. We've got, I made a whole special about it. Um, but then we've kept all the raw footage for ourselves, all the photos. And so they'll always have that for their entire lives. And I just highly recommend to anybody that if you have a chance, if you have the ability, whether it's on your own or whether you're on a, a guided tour, just just go, just do it. Yep. I, I read I led a tour. I'll be doing another one, not 2023, but probably 2024. And we, we do the Via Dolorosa and we do everything i mean gal i mean i'm sure you did galilee you did all i mean it's just we did galilee yeah i mean they say we did galilee is we like did Masada, Nazareth. the fifth gospel because suddenly everything you've read and heard from the bible you're there and it just i don't know it just changes every everything every way you you read it hear it and even now like i'm in church and i hear lessons and at the galilee i, I can see it in my mind i was there you know right it's it's powerful. Yeah, we went we went to the the site where Christ was baptized, yep. um, which is of course the border now between Israel and Jordan. Yeah. And you know, just this last week with the readings, and, and you know, well, in in Nathan, we plunged into the. Now we didn't plunge in seven times, right? But right. you know, we we waded in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say plunge. Not yeah. really. <laughs> All right. So, but it's 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 incredible. So incredible. no. Going even further east, out of Jerusalem, we turn our eyes to China. Now, yes. there's been a controversy. Which is where Columbus intended intended which, to arrive. Which is where he wanted to, but like you said, there was a continent in the way. And he didn't quite get that far. Uh, China, at least since the 50s, there's been this underground church situation. Maybe you can explain it. And then in 2018, there is this Sino-Vatican or Holy See-China agreement. Basically, the Chinese government, the way I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, they can propose bishops to the Vatican, to the Pope, and say, these are the five guys that we want to be bishops. Uh, we approve of them. We like them. And then the Pope just has to sign off on those, and they become the bishop. Instead of the church, I mean, it's, it'd be kind of like, I don't know, Joe Biden and his friends saying, hey, we like these five guys to be bishops. And then the Holy See saying, yeah, we like them too. Sounds good. Did I get that right? Essentially, right. Yeah. So the, 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 the Vatican is supposedly has a veto power of this. But of course, if they exercise their veto power, well, then China is just going, you know, the CCP is just going to nominate somebody else that, again, is going through their own through their own channels. And so. One of the ways this works, so I, I, I lived, by way of background, I lived in Shanghai for two years, attended Mass every week when I was there, um, and they do have active Jack is churches fluent as well as in Chinese. Let me interrupt here. Jack is fluent. fluent. Mandarin, that's right. I was with you in yeah. Washington, D.C. We were walking out of a building, and the doorman was Chinese, 
and we're walking through <laughs> and you're right, like, yeah. Ma, and then but it's just Chinese conversation. I'm like, man, Jack Basobic yeah. <laughs> is for not just like he knows some words like Nihao, Nihao Ma. He's like having a full on <laughs> conversation with a guy from China. So I can vouch Jack knows Chinese. Yeah. So yeah, Jack talk, Jack talk Chinese. Jack talk so Chinese. it, um, when I was, um, so, so prior to joining the Navy where I was a, a Mandarin linguist while I was in the Navy. So I maintained my proficiency while I was in the Navy, but I actually learned it before I joined the Navy. And then most people, when they learn language going into the military, they'll go to what's called DLI. So the defense language Institute, which is in Monterey, California, just North of San Francisco, lots of Navy seals there, not those seals, the other kind of seals. Um, <laughs> right there on the beach that, um, actually know someone's there right now for, uh, for another language. And, but I didn't, so I, I learned it, you know, on the mean streets. Right. And then, but was able to get my proficiency up to the level where not only was I, uh, did I pass the test for the Navy, but I was considered a full on Mandarin linguist, even without going to defense language Institute. And that's because I lived there for two years. I took, uh, advanced and, um, intensive language classes while, when I first arrived, had a tutor and an immersion, right? Obviously just living there, being immersive. And, and when I was there, uh, I shunned, you know, the expatriate community and I, I didn't want, you know, there's all these little enclaves of Americans or Europeans that you could go to. And I said, I don't want anything to do with that. And there's, there's a Japan area, Korea area. And, uh, I said, no, I want to be with as many Chinese people as I can. I want to be as around there. I just got my own regular apartment that I found, uh, on the banks of the the one Suzhou Canal, and they call it Suzhou Creek, in in Shanghai. And while I was there, I learned. So this was prior to twenty eight the twenty eighteen agreement. So prior to that, there were five official religions allowed in China. So there's these sort of official churches. So that's Islam, Buddhism, Catholicism, Protestantism, and Judaism. However. For all of the, the priests and the bishops up till that point, they were all appointed by the party. The government. And so they're this, the government, the same thing, right? Yeah. In China, it's all the same thing. The party, the government, et cetera. They're, they're CCP appointed, which means that, sure, they'll go up and they'll do the readings and they'll follow scripture, but it really comes down to the homily and then it also comes down to really what their life is outside of the church. And there's nothing political that would ever come up prior to that. So this was, that was 2000, that was right around the time of the 2007 letter, uh, which was actually, believe it or not, written by McCarrick, which is a whole other story. Um, you know, trying to, who was the, so just want to put that out there. The first person who tried to normalize relations between the church and the CCP was McCarrick. Yeah. So Ex-cardinal, Theodore McCarrick, Ex -cardinal, the pedophile, criminal, child molester. He's no longer a cardinal. He's the guy of the genesis of this whole, what I consider to be, compromised arrangement. Right. So in addition to that, though, you have people like... Now, this, that, that, by the way, doesn't apply to Hong Kong. Hong Kong's always been, always been separate up until the recent, uh, you know, the recent agreement and recent events but hong kong prior to this had always been separate so hong kong never never was taken over by the ccp had always been british until 97 maintained some degree of autonomy around until around 2018 right around the same time as this by the way so you had cardinals like cardinal zen 
and underground churches within China itself, not just Catholic, but also also evangelical Protestant churches with numbers that people estimate in the tens of millions, right? Numbers that we can't even begin to comprehend as Americans and Westerners because all the numbers in China are just, just beyond, it's beyond our reach to understand how many people, right? One medium-sized city in China would be more than the largest city in America. So bigger than LA, bigger than New York, whereas their cities of Shanghai and Beijing are the size of states in the United States. So just imagine the population density in these areas, mega cities. And, and so for you to say tens of millions in China, for us that would say, wow, that's so many people for them that say, okay, so that's just, you know, one faction, <laughs> you know, that's just some fringe group. Um, but for them, worship is outlawed, worship is banned, worship it because if you are conducting these activities in an unregistered church or an or a house church is what they call it that you can be arrested and you can be persecuted and people like cardinal zen and other catholic uh, cardinals and bishops and priests have tried to work with these churches because they understand that they're doing something that's outside the system i mean you'd have to go back essentially to the days of the original you know roman empire and their relations with the seat with the early church yeah. to understand the level of persecution yeah. that goes on. I mean, it's not full on executions church. at this point, but yeah, not, not full on executions with lions and, and gladiators, but it, you, you get disappeared. Essentially you get locked up if you become too big and, and they put you in these places. You know, there's no, there's no record anywhere. There's no trial. You, nothing, you're just gone. It's like you never even existed. That's yeah. basically what happens. Same thing, you know, in, in many of these countries. And so, what the 2018 agreement tried to do was to normalize some of this and to create some sort of semblance of an agreement between the two. And look, I, I couldn't I couldn't be more opposed to this. Um, you, you didn't see this, by the way, with the Soviet Union. You didn't see the church try to do this with the Soviet Union. You saw you saw them. You saw John Paul II would go over and he would preach to the Christians who were there, to the Catholics who were there. And he would work to end the scourge of communism, whereas Francis has this new policy of, well, we, if we can accommodate the communists, then perhaps maybe we'll be able to uh, help minister to more people. No, the, you should not be making accommodations with evil. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, imagine, OK, there is the party church, right, the official overground church that the bishops, the priests right. are appointed by the party, by the government, Chinese communists. And there's the underground church. Oh, I should throw another one out there at you. If you go to, there are some churches, by the way, specifically on high holidays like Easter, that if you're going to a specific foreigner service, I'll never forget this. When I showed up to that service, I had to, there were police officers, this is right in downtown Shanghai, police officers at the front door for me going to Easter mass and they made me show my passport. Not even, not Whoa. just a, a copy of my passport or a photo. I had to have the legit official passport out and they had to make sure that I wasn't bringing any Chinese citizens with me into that mass. Yeah. That's draconian. Yeah. 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 I mean, imagine those bishops and those priests. So if this is all just a book that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. those bishops yeah. and those priests are not going to be preaching a Sunday homily. Hey, have a large family. Be open to life. No, they're going to be preaching a, what was a one-child policy, you know, or 
They're not going right. to be teaching anything in Catholicism or in the Bible that is contrary to the Communist Party's policies. So what you're getting is a neutered Catholicism, a neutered gospel. If you want one that's not obstructed, you go to the underground church. But in the underground church, you have risk of imprisonment and persecution. And it was the Catholic up until McCarrick and Francis, it was the Catholic principle to nourish and support the underground Christians who were risking their freedom in their lives and their families to be in communion with an in uncorrupted, non-neutered Catholicism. And that's what's so shocking is that you got McCarrick brokering out this deal. Archbishop Vigano says one of the last times he saw McCarrick, McCarrick was once again heading back over to China under Pope Francis. And then we have these this agreement. The Cardinal of Hong Kong, you already mentioned Cardinal Zen, he is opposed to this. He tries to meet with Francis for a number of days. He only has so many days on his visa. Francis won't meet with him. You actually have a cardinal, a Chinese cardinal, and you won't consult him on something that will affect tens, hundreds of millions of Catholics? And this is what led to the resignation of many of the bishops of the underground church. Mm -hmm. um, cardinal Zen himself ultimately uh, breaks off relations because or, or resigns because of this. Um, they viewed it as a selling out of all of those Catholics that have been under this persecution of the CCP, including by the ones, the Catholics who are currently, and I want to be very clear about this, the Catholics who are currently imprisoned in what they're called black sites, same way we would talk about uh, terrorists and, and Al-Qaeda members, they're in black prisons in China because of their Catholicism. Right. Well, what Francis did was kind of just waved his hand and acted as if they didn't exist. Yeah. And what happens to them? What happens to those Christians, those Catholics? Do they just rot there? I mean, I mean, it depends, right? You know, it, it depends. Either you know, either you you acquiesce, either you become like you know, what's the last line of um, the last line of 1984 is, of course, Winston Smith says um, he he realizes that he loves Big Brother. Right. Yeah, I, I love big brother. Yeah. So he he has his mind altered. And then we don't know what happens after that. But presumably, right. hopefully they're allowed to leave or you're kept away forever. Kept work harvesting on in these prisons. Obviously, mass forced labor that goes on. It's, this goes on with the Uyghurs, too, by the way. It's not yeah. they don't just single out Catholics. It's any any religion uh, that has an ideology that's that's adverse to the CCP. And of course, with the Uyghurs, it's not just religious. It's also um, it's also separatist because of their their area of uh, uh, Xinjiang. But you know, Xinjiang, by the way, when, when you talk about Columbus, right? So again, this is the one just to, to mention it, because people always ask, why do Uyghurs matter so much to China? Why do they care so much? Well, if you just look on a map, so Columbus, it, it goes, it, it ties back in. Columbus is trying to find another route to China. But the current route to China goes through the Middle East and then uh, would have gone through what at the time was called the Silk Road. So China, what are they trying to do right now? They're trying to build a new Silk Road through Central Asia. Problem is these Uyghurs are in the way. The Uyghurs don't like China very much because China has done all this to them over the years and conquered their land. 
And so when they see these pipelines and roadways and railways being built across them, they might think to, well, uh, as, as, as you see from time to time when it comes to the radicals in, in this area, bombings, attacks, etc. And so they don't want, so the Chinese don't want that. So they blocked them all up in concentration camps, not not just the ones, by the way, that were committing any of these acts, just all of them to include the children. And then in some, some extreme cases are even forcibly sleeping with Uyghur women to actually try to dilute or, or merge right this sort of cultural assimilation uh, with the Uyghur population, something they've done in Tibet for years, by the way. And they sent they effectively did this to the Manchurians after uh, at the fall of the Qing dynasty as well. And so this is. Very interesting because you see what it's it's just the way I look at it is a very interesting tie between Columbus, China, the Uyghurs. It's all about connecting, right? It's all about connecting travel. It's all about connecting the world. Even with the Holy See in China right now, it's trying to find some level of connection. But of course, the CCP would never allow them to acknowledge these underground churches. And so to them, well, that's just, um, you know, that's an inconvenient part of the narrative. And so that's just got to be pushed aside and we're very sorry to all the people who are still locked up yeah it's it's unbelievable now if i'm a totalitarian wicked leader and i'm watching what's going on with the chinese and pope francis or even if i was joe biden i'd be like well this is a great deal i'm just gonna take basically take over the catholic church within my national border and then i'm gonna be controlling all the bishops in and out and then just sending like a checkbox slip to the Pope for him to, ch- I mean, it's basically like Henry VIII taking over the church of England and then just saying, well, I'm going to choose everything and run all the bishops and all that, but we're just going to have you just sort of rubber stamp some stuff. And the Pope's like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, once China does what, what's going right. to, co- what's going to prevent other nations from trying to seek the same sort of fight. I'm back here with Jack Posobiec. We lost our original stream. Hopefully we're back on our stream. Yep, we're back on our stream. All of our viewers are back. Good. Okay, so we were just talking about I don't know when the stream broke. I said said PayPal. I said PayPal was going to come back. And that's what happened. They broke the stream. They broke the stream. So I don't know when the stream broke, but we were saying, couldn't this happen in any other country? And you said, yeah, you could be Cuba, it could be ever, and I think around then is when it broke. So... Right. Cuba, Iran, a, a, across the Middle East, obviously, across the Saudi Arabia. Right. You, you could have this issue. Saudi Arabia, by the way, where it is still currently illegal to celebrate Christmas yeah. because that is a public Christian holiday. So there's countries all across the Middle East, which not to get political, but the, the United States certainly maintains very friendly relationships with that are extremely hostile to Christians and Catholics in particular. And for the Holy See to go and make this precedent, set this precedent of holding those direct relations with Beijing, that sends a message that you don't have to change your ways, but we will change our doctrine in order to fit you. Yeah, yeah imagine it's in uh, uh, in one of those Muslim countries and they're gonna be proposing bishops to the Pope and they're just gonna ask him, are you gonna push for public, for uh, celebration of Christmas, yes or no? And if they say, yes, it's on my agenda, I wanna make Christmas part of our experience in this country they're like, okay well you're not on the list anymore have a nice day don't call us we'll call you i mean that's what's going to happen is they are just going to right. vet and get the worst possible pool of compliant spineless bishops we already kind of have that in america already to to be running these local churches and then you're again you're going to be getting these this neutered version of christianity of, of catholicism there was um 
the the Muslim Brotherhood was the the Obama administration, by the way, helped to work to put the Muslim Brotherhood in charge of Egypt for a number of years following the Arab Spring. Now they're not there anymore, um, but but under them, the Coptic Church crushed would have been would have been completely crushed the same way that they were just 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 murdering people straight up murdering people for years yeah. over this and um when you meet there's one huge piece of respect i'll always have for coptics and and when i was in the military a lot of our i, I did a deployment at guantanamo bay so um, a large majority of our interpreters there were coptic and what they'll do even in an area where they're faced with that level of persecution they get they get the cross tattooed right on the inside of their, for all of them, um, we'll get the cross tattooed right here for life to say, even in the, in these Muslim lands, when they know if a member of the MB comes for you, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to stand down for yeah. believing in the Lord. Yeah. I've also, don't some of the women get, get a, a Coptic cross on their forehead or on their face somewhere. Have you seen that? Sometimes. Yeah. I have, I've seen that it's, it's not as prevalent as the one on the arm, but you okay. do see it. I heard that also went back to the times when uh, maybe it still happens when they would enslave cops. The Mohammedans would enslave the cops. And then when cops would come back and do rescue missions, they would find people who were in servitude and they'd see those tattoos on them. And they'd be like, you're one of us. Get them back. Right. Yeah. Have you ever heard? Yeah, the, well, the facial tattoos go back even even further to, um, I mean, tattooing slaves in, in the Middle East was is actually, is actually quite common. It had more had to do with functionality. Yeah. So if you were, if you were for a, because oftentimes they wouldn't speak the same language as the slavers. And so, you know, if you were a, a, you know, a blacksmith or if you were a, a worked horses or whatever it might be, you might get a tattoo that was relating to that. Yeah. Have you ever talked to cops about how they keep Lent? uh no not lent no they're hardcore they're hardcore they don't eat any meat products not even like anything that would be like a shortening in any kind of food i mean they are hardcore when they keep lent i've known a few cops and i'm like man they do lent for real for real that's amazing no we we, we need more of that energy in the western church we need now, it. do you think there's any connection with Globalism, China, and Ukraine. Well, so it's very interesting. Talking that, about that Silk Road yes and, no. and all that. Right. Yes and no. I mean, certainly, certainly Ukraine has always been along with Turkey, right? So if you look at where Ukraine and Turkey sit in terms of their geography, it's it's the north and south of the Black Sea. Obviously, Turkey, that's that is where um, Hagia Sophia, that's where. Istanbul, Constantinople sits, but Ukraine is just north of that. And so I, I really wish people would look at this on them. And, and the Black Sea is not, I mean, it's, it's larger than, than the Great Lakes, but it's, it's not some vast ocean, right? Mm. We're not talking about incredible distances here. And so, and they were certainly well known to each other over the years. And so they do, do both play this historic role of this bridge between Asia and Europe, this east-west bridge sort of area. Even the word Ukraine in Slavic languages means ugranitsa. So ugranitsa means at the border. Mm -hmm. So ugranitsa yeah. so is border, and then u is at. So you're you're basically saying borderland. So it's it, even the word Ukraine just means borderlands or border area. And so this idea that in order to connect everything, you have to have Turkey. So there's Erdogan. Ukraine, we see what's going on in Ukraine. 
And so where does China fall in on this? Because China, of course, is looking to have relations with Russia, but then also looking to have relations with the EU and NATO. Uh, China, of course, relations with Erdogan. And so they've got this interesting balancing act where they're sort of on different sides of this one. In, in They have a military relationship and a economic, at least I should say energy relationship with Russia, but then also their economic relationship in terms of their production and their um, manufacturing is for the West. That's what we are to them. We're just their consumers. So we consume their, their big screen TVs and their computers and their laptops and their iPhones and everything else. And so when I was in Davos, one of the, one of the best ways that I can uh, just encapsulate this, when I'm in Davos at the World Economic Forum, we're up there in the in the, in the Swiss Alps. Now, of course, we were there in summer, so there's no snow at the one time. Just missed it. Just missed it. Um, uh, and if we if we end up going back, and I'm sure people have seen the video of me being detained by the yep. you know World Economic Forum police. I can't say that, by the way. It's the police assigned to the World Economic Forum. I don't want Reuters to fact check me again, even though their patches say World Economic Forum police right. and their their MP5s work just as well. I assure you mm-hmm. um, that Ukraine was everywhere. Everyone's wearing the Ukraine pins, everyone, every single one of these members. That's that's like the globalist summit. But you know what word was not found anywhere in in Davos, the one that you wouldn't hear at all. I, I looked at the list because if this summit was going on, if there had been a breakout session or if there had been any one speaker on this topic, I would have loved to go see it. You know what word wasn't heard? Taiwan. Mm. The word Taiwan was, was completely omitted from this conference, the same way, of course, that there's there's no Catholics in China that disagree with the party. Um, the word Taiwan. What? So so it's incredible to me to see we support Ukraine. We love Ukraine. We love democracy. This is about standing up for democracy, standing up for freedom. And then if I come in and say, OK, what about Taiwan? I say, oh, no, we don't talk about Taiwan. Yeah. So, again, another one of these inconvenient realities that gets pushed to the side and then eventually left to its own devices. Yeah. And you're seeing this as well when it comes to you know, I, I don't think the Biden administration would would fight back very strongly if if uh, if it came to blows over Taiwan. And I've, I've been on Navy ships through the Taiwan Strait. Um, I, I think that essentially, you know, that that kind of fight, which, by the way, I'd much rather not go to in, in any form of, of kinetic military method. I mean, uh, you see what's happening in Ukraine now. A Taiwan fight would be far worse than that because of the proximity and also just the, the sheer size differential is so be- so big, so vast. Um, same deal with North South Korea, any of these incidents, Iran, Israel. You don't want any of these fault lines going off. That's the point of diplomacy. That's yep. the point of statesmanship is to prevent it from spilling over to what we're seeing now in Ukraine. Um, you saw former President Trump bring that up at his rally this weekend, saying we, we shouldn't be trying to get into World War Three. That's and that's obviously not from a religious standpoint. That's from just a pragmatic standpoint, which yep. real politics standpoint. We don't want the nukes flying. Um, we'd like to prevent that as much as possible. But at the same time, uh, we don't want to be selling out the Catholics in Taiwan, the Catholics and Christians and pro-democracy activists in all of these places. The same way that, by the way, we all just saw what happened in Hong Kong. We completely sold it out. Remember, the original deal was that Hong Kong gets handed over in 1997. And we told ourselves, right? we, I say we, I mean the collective West, we told ourselves, well, 
because Hong Kong is such a bastion of, of uh, globalism. It was one of the four Asian tigers and this, this bastion of capitalism and banking in, in, in East Asia that if we introduce Hong Kong into the Chinese system, well, it's just going to convert them all to democracy and capitalism. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's going to blow open the doors of the Communist Party. Well, the exact opposite happened. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we made them promise, by the way, made them promise that they wouldn't touch the system in Hong Kong for 50 years. It lasted about 30, maybe, um, before they just decided to completely strip them away of freedom of religion, strip them away of freedom of speech, lock up the book sell. Anyone who writes a book that was, um, there was a book that came out a few years ago that was uh, less than flattering than of Xi Jinping, stripped, stripped that away. Uh, anyone who wrote that book, by, or anyone who sold the book, I should say, anyone who sold the book was arrested by special ops squads of the Chinese secret police that came over the border into Hong Kong. And guess what? They all got disappeared. They were brought back. But guess what? That book never to be seen again anywhere in China. Yeah. And so, you know, this is exactly and there are people now expats who can't go back to Hong Kong. I haven't tried to go back to Hong Kong since um, since any of this has happened, though, it's always been uh, very, very front of mind. Hong Kong incredible place by the way it's it's just amazing what the british did there and took that rock and turned it into this it's got bridges and cities up the mountain and everything it's really really cool if you ever go to hong kong i recommend to people stay in the stay on the mountain because you're you're basically in this um it's almost equatorial it's not quite but close because you're pretty far south um but you're in a rainforest looking down on one of the biggest cities on the planet Wow. It's the only I, place you can see that. I geography. was in China in 1997 when Hong Kong switched over. Oh, so you were there for the handover, yeah. Well, I wasn't in Hong Kong. I was in Hangzhou. But I remember like, the whole okay. country was jazzed Well, Hangzhou's up. pretty, too. Hangzhou's very Hangzhou's pretty. Hangzhou's gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old line um, in Chinese poetry. I always forget the Mandarin, but it says, uh, uh, heaven has heaven, but the earth has Hangzhou. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. We were also told that Hangzhou has the most beautiful Chinese women in all of China. Yeah, uh, that's what we're told. Yeah, that's one of the the very many things about Hangzhou. Though for me, of course, got to go with Slavic women. Got to go with Slavic yeah. women. <laughs> Sweetheart, if you're watching this later, yes. don't worry, I got you. Yes, that <laughs> reminds me of the last time I was on your show, and you're like, "Our next guest is just a real is the most attractive guest ever." I was like, "Oh wow, that's really nice of Jack to say." But you, oh right, right, but you right, had right. lined up your wife in front of me, and I didn't know that. And then I was, saw your wife go, and I was like, "Well, that makes sense." You you thought it was going to be you? I was kind like, of I was prepped. Yeah, all, I was prepped. Of all the interests you've gotten, that was I was kind of checking me. Going, out. I was like, yeah. I was prepped. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jack Vasoba, thanks for being on. Everybody go follow Jack on Twitter. He's got 1.8 million. Everybody follows Jack on uh, Twitter. That's by the way, congrats. Congrats on, thanks for having me on. Congrats on the new book, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. Um, I've, I've taken a look at the charts, taken a look at the rate. Did you, have you broken 1,000 ratings on, on Amazon already? You mean in the top 1,000? No, no, no. Just the the actual reviews on the uh, on the. Oh, book. oh, oh, yeah. No, it's in the nine hundreds. It's in the nine hundreds. But it was it was hanging out Very like close. in uh, number fifty five in all book sales, and it's still number one in a lot of categories. And yeah, it's doing great. It's doing great. Thanks for retweeting. Tremendous book, success. Yeah, it's a tremendous, tremendous success. success. Congratulations. I could I was not expecting the first week being that big of a success. So the Marshall family is very grateful and happy to everyone who bought the book and. <laughs> well, it, it, it just turned out to be, uh, I guess it worked in your favor that here you are putting out a book about the apocalypse 
when at the same time Joe Biden says Armageddon is about to happen. So did you pay off Joe Biden to say that well, as a marketing? you know, infiltration. Are, we, are you allowed to reveal? Infiltration goes two ways, you know. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't mention, you know, people always talk about the Red Dragon in China. That was kind of on the today's title. But the, uh, the Book of Revelation, the Apocalypse has that passage where the mother of Christ, we call her Our Lady, the Virgin Mary, appears in heaven. And it says, uh, Revelation 12, 1, and there was another sign in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Now, yes. I don't think the red dragon is China, but it's a fun connection. Very interesting. Yep. All right, Jack Pasovic, thanks for being on. Um, you're a Latin mass guy. Do you want to say Hail Mary with me in Latin or you just want me to do it? I'd love to. You want to say the second half or you want me to do the whole thing? Uh, let's do it together. Okay, let's do it together. All right. Nomini Patri, Sefiri, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum, Benedictus et Benedictus Fructus Ventris Tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or Pronobis Peccatoribus, Nunc Eretor Mortis Nostre, Amen. Nomini Patri, Sefiri, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. All right, y'all. You know what to do. Pray the rosary every day. I see Jack on Twitter, too. He's like, pray the rosary. Wake up. Pray up. Wake up. Pray up. Pray the rosary every day or you're not on the team. Everybody, thanks for watching. Please like this video. Please subscribe to the channel. Follow Jack. And until next time, remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and get on to speed. Won't let me cancel the stream. Stand by.